0: Man, must the Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 47 Mama and Fodder. Was what his stylist referred to as the quote, "prime executive." His suit, skinny pinstripes, armed with a silver tie fashioned in a classic Eldridge knot. His watch, Rolex. His cufflinks, Phoenix by Gavinci, valued at seventy thousand dollars. He entered the Druidry with the name Tadashi Ozu playing up his one-quarter Japanese heritage to convince the powers that be that he was the incarnate Asian James Bond. As is custom, the center took his clothes, of course reciting the fable that he could receive his valuables back whenever he chose to leave the Druidry. When it came to meet Adela and Mama Beck one-on-one, he made it clear without showing cock or bull that he was a man of considerable capital who chartered international leverage. Leverage that, as of now, he was offering unto the Druidry as a gift, an homage, a sacrifice of goodwill. An eternal truth of humanity remains obvious, but utterly undeniable in every setting, every generation. Money speaks. Evil and good are attracted to it, usually in equal measure. Miles Faw, self-branded as Tadashi Ozu, now rebranded by the center as Uznai Vraga, was initiated by Adela to level 1 status before going through nearly any of the proper procedures. His money and his class spoke. The center saw him as an instrument to be played, an extra accessory to be exploited in mind. Miles Faw foresaw this and was married to play whatever part would get him close to Jennifer Dash. It was a Monday. Faw had been sentenced to evening duty, patrolling the Heritage Room. As of yet, Fa was not privy to what occurred inside the room he was to safeguard. But what did it matter, he and Jen could be gone, if all went well, as early as this evening. On this particular morning, Miles Fa, also known as Tadashi Ozu, also known as Uznai Vraga, had an explicit mission. He would never admit it, but the plan had two objectives. The obvious manifest goal would be apparent soon enough, The second, much more latent goal of being with Jennifer Dash, being her beau, being her new Atticus, being her lover well, a man's got a dream. He'd played the sacrificial goat. He rode off into the sunset, dealing himself up to the wicked Emperor 666 in return for Jen's freedom. That had to have bought him some passion, right? We'll see. Miles was not a man, quick to believe in prophecies, but so many of the other ones were coming to pass. Maybe this intricate design was all part of a divine plan. Whatever the case, Miles was never against a push. The truth was, whether Jen recognized it or not, her love language was touch. That was the only way to explain her bizarre attachment to that Hester the Molester, Antonio de Anconia. Through some adroit spying, Miles saw Jen enter the mulch mill a wink before 10 a.m. He assumed she'd be working there for at least four hours, so he decided to wait. For this to work, Jen needed to be tired enough not to be on guard. He needed her walls to be laid down by physical exhaustion. That helped his cause a good deal, so Miles waited. Until a hair before 2 p.m., He was sweating, nervous. Once upon a time, Miles had convinced the Lord of the Underworld to marry him, and he hadn't even broken a sweat in that scenario. But this, this was stomach churning. Miles Farr had spent months in hiding, in expectation, and he'd absolutely fallen into that old-timey cliché, absence makes the heart grow fonder. He'd dreamed of Jennifer, or rather, tried earnestly to dream her dreams just to feel close to her. He tried his best to recount the Father Thomas weird jewel king story that he fed Jen. Miles focused on the details every night, in hopes that he'd somehow, mystically, end up in the same dream space as Jennifer Dash. Prophecy or not, Miles yearned for their union. He wasn't above forcing fate's hand. Two details sideswiped Miles as he entered the mulcher department. Two details that completely derailed his plans. For one, two days prior, Lorna von Schloss, affectionately known as Lori, Jen's mulch-side companion, had, in a sudden bout of conviction, turned to asceticism she decided to do away with her attachment to the material world. Most importantly for Lori, this meant doing away with her love of self, her obsession with her own image. Her whole life, she'd managed to get by on her inheritance and her young beauty. She'd spent thousands of dollars on hair product. So, what better way to prove that she's no longer a material girl than to do away with her Rapunzelian long blonde locks? Detail number two. Lorna von Schloss didn't look very much like Jennifer Dash. Not at all. Besides skin tone differences, if you stood the two women side by side, you would immediately notice that Jen was at least five or six inches taller than Lori. However, with his heart beating as fast as it was and sweat dripping into his eyes, thus smearing his vision, Miles' comprehension of what was in front of him never went past, girl, bald. Please recall. When Jen had first met Miles, she had recently been buzz-cut by the men and women in Black and Magical Kingdom. The week spent underground on Pishtaco's Island only showed off a Jen with a GI Jane-ish length hair. Maybe part of the reason Miles was off his usual insular and controlled game was that he was no longer in charge of his wardrobe. The center's attire for him was certifiably lacking in the Department of Suave. You see, it happened like this. At 1.59 p.m., Miles strutted into the mulcher room. Through blurred eyes, he grabbed the bald-headed woman in front of him, spun her around, and kissed her squarely on the lips. Lori didn't mind. She closed her eyes, sent caution to the wind, and fully embraced the oncoming tongue. Miles was sky high. Not only had he pulled this thing off, but Jen was really energetic about kissing him. He flicked the note into her mouth with his tongue and continued to add fall-like nuance to the smooch. Naima's eyes were not sweat-stained. She was at the other end of the room when Miles had streamed in, but that didn't keep her from instantaneously recognizing him. Lori, what are you doing? Naima asked, astonished. Miles heard Jen's voice, but that couldn't be right. The data didn't compute. His tongue was halfway down Jen's throat. So that couldn't be her speaking. Lori let go of Miles, opening her eyes to take in the look of her new lover. You are something else, Lori said, looking deep into Miles' wide eyes. Wide-eyed because Miles was just now realizing what had happened. Weeks of searching, then planning, had led to this. And now so quickly, he had spoiled it all. Lori's look turned, twisted. She drew her hand up to her mouth. She'd found the note, the note Miles had intended for Jen. With no other option, Miles swooped back in. Round two. Lori flew up her hands. Miles nearly knocked her over with the force of his lip smack. He worked vigorously with his tongue, trying desperately to snatch it back, use his tongue like an engineer's weapon, twirling it here and there in the dark depths of Lori's mouth in order to come up for air with note enveloped in tongue. Because Miles is naturally gifted at all athletic games, this, too, he was able to conquer. He smirked once he'd freed the note, quite literally, from the jaws of Lorna von Schloss. Thank you, he said. (sighs) My, my, my. Lori shimmied her body in satisfaction. But then, she started to form an idea about what was actually happening when she became aware that the foreign object was now missing from inside her mouth. Hey! What did... Lori trailed off. Miles made eye contact with Naime. With longer hair now, she was more beautiful than he could have ever imagined. He hovered to her. She crinkled her brow, not knowing what words to share, what questions to ask, what to say, what to do. Miles was close enough to kiss Jen now, and, like a puppy, he pushed in, offering Naima the best of his sloppy seconds. Naima was having none of this, she pulled back, twisting away. Miles was denied. He had to think quickly. He shot her what he thought was meaningful eyes, trying to transmit the idea that this was important business without coming out and saying it. Miles' eyes were accomplishing nothing. He noticed Jen had a back pocket. He could reach over and act like he was wanting to smack that, and in doing so, insert the note into her back pocket. He took a seductive step towards Jen. Who do you think you are? Naima said scornfully. Yeah, you can't just like have both of us willy nilly, Lori added. Miles knew he shouldn't speak a word. The more he spoke, the more he'd come under suspicion by the center's powers that be. Well, what do you have to say for yourself, Romeo? Lori demanded. Out of a plan, Miles slinked out of the room. He got two steps out and second-guessed himself. He U-turned, marched back in, spied the bald girl, and plugged her with another Don Juan-style kiss. This one with a romantic full tilt, and no mysterious note attached to his tongue. Lori swept off her feet once more. Maybe Miles had finished with enough good faith that the bald one wouldn't report him to Adela. Maybe. And, with that, he left. A moment later, Lori smiled at Jen and said, I'll take that any Monday. Naima wanted some time to process what happened during her work shift. Miles's supposed girlfriend had told her over the phone that Miles was dead. The letter sent via Gimli had said the Orion was hunting down Merkel, but had said nothing about Miles, only that they'd taken the whole island out. That was the story. Miles and Markle should have been on the island with Mr. 666. So either it wasn't true, or the man she saw today wasn't Miles after all. That, she supposed, was always possible. If Miles had a secret girlfriend, maybe he also had a secret identical twin. Or maybe the Pookas were working another number on Naima's mind. She'd been taught to replace old memories with center members. Marshall Winston was the new Miles Faw. Maybe the center was playing with that somehow? Did Marshall Winston just come in and smooch Lori? Who's to say? Having time to think through these things, maybe come up with a plan of attack, would have been stellar. Great, even. But that wasn't to be. Following her shift, around 3.15, Naima was to meet with Mama Beck, alone, sans Adela. So she went. She intended on making her appointment. Naime crawled into the sweat lodge. Mama Beck was already waiting for her. The big Indian woman was pouring a greenish liquid on top of hot coals. The teepee misted, and both women were forced to suck in the smoke. It tasted like the tea. Naime figured there were tea leaves in the coals, or the liquid, somewhere. It was a challenge to blank her mind, but Naime, a reformed soldier of the Republic of Druidry against the evils of the Pipe Piper and his army, had a role to play now. She had a mission. And Foz being in the picture didn't change that now. Clear head, clear mind, clear head, clear mind, clear head, clear mind, clear head, clear mind. Hello, Naime, Mama Beck said in Jen's mind. Hello. You've done well. I'm proud of your progress. Yes, thank you. I'm trying hard. No. This isn't about trying. About succeeding. I apologize. Tell me, why do you seek my counsel today? I've had visions of a certain a certain character. I see him in your thoughts you dwell on the one you call high pipe or high pipe high Piper high Piper high Piper or high high or high him I high high or high 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 Piper or high high or high high or high high or high high or high to say high Is the high 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 Of the enemy. Naime pushed in. Who is he, Mama? What power does he have? He is the night. He is the darkness that hides the day. Do you believe the center is good? Yes. Yes, I do. No. You're not sure. You have doubts. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. I, I believe... Help my unbelief. Before we can talk of the enemy, we must master ourselves. What's holding you back, name? The way the leprechaun was killed. It appeared to you brutal, no? Yes, ma'am. I like the little guy. Why did you kill him? We gave him what he wanted. This is the secret. He was a slave to the Shining Man. Name, his mind lit up. Yes, he told me about that person. The Shining Man is the Pied Piper. Okay, good. W- why is he called that? He stole that name. He takes all good things and twists them. He is the blackest of night. He is the opposite of Shining. He's a black hole. Who is he? Really? Your mind is not yet open. Enough to know the full truth. But I can tell you aspects of who he is. I can feed you milk today. Later, when you are farther along, I will feed you meat. You know Rasputin? Uh, Russian mystic? He helped topple the Russian monarchy. He was an agent of chaos. Yes, ma'am. I understand. Not yet. No, do This is piecemeal. He is not just the Pied Piper. He's not just Rasputin. He's the vampire of so many generations. So many deaths. Okay. The leprechaun was a slave of this creature. He performed the ceremony. Brutal? Yes, but necessary to free him from that enslavement. What can I do to stop the Piper? Do you trust me? Do you trust the center? Yes, ma'am. Then be patient in time, we will use you. will not be forgotten. Yes, yes ma'am, yes mum, Naima said. She heard others refer to Mama Beck as just mum, so she was trying it out. It felt nice to say, but not wholly true. At any rate, the meeting was over. Mama Beck left the sweat hut. Naima stuck around a little bit. She needed the quiet to think. So the Pied Piper was a spiritual being, an eternal demon tempting and destroying humanity at every turn. And to think, even back in Louisiana, that truck ride in the middle of nowhere, even there, this demon was hunting Naime. Fascinating. Where a moment ago she'd had only scorn for the fife player, now she was beginning to think of him as an arch rival, a nemesis make no mistake but the type of villain whom you have a certain degree of respect for. If Naima could live to see the day that her enemy was destroyed, that would be an extraordinary accomplishment. Something to live for. Now however, Naima's task was to grow in strength and knowledge. She had to bide her time. She was just a seedling now. She needed to be powerful, like Mama and Fodderbeck. She had to become like them before she had a chance to face the Piper. Mum told her to be patient she would be so. So, patient. People everywhere would look at Naima and say, now there's a patron saint of patience. Swept up in these conquering thoughts of grandeur, Jen left the teepee with nary a thought about Miles Faw. And, as it turned out, Jennifer Dash didn't have to wait long at all for her patience to pay off. As soon as she slipped out of the sweat lodge on that summer's day, Marshall Winston was waiting for her. He had a solemn look on his face. Hey, Hey, Naima said, smiling up at her resident skeptic. Without him, she'd never had made it. She owed her life and her place at the center to this man, Marshall Winston. Did... did something happen? Marshall Winston sounded concerned. Scared, even. Yeah, I just had a great meeting with Mama Beck. No, I mean, before. Are you in trouble, Naima? I don't think so. Never been better, actually. Adela sent me. You are to report to Faderbeck. Immediately. Uh, what? One-on-one? Yeah, now you met. No one ever has personal meetings with him. Uh, I'm sure it's nothing. Where is he? He's waiting for you in the Heritage Room. The heritage room was scrubbed white from bottom to top. As Naima walked in, past security, she saw the whole room was laden with white tile squares. There were no windows. The lights on the ceiling radiated almost no orange or yellow in their brightness. Everything was pure white. Diminutive Voderbeck stood, his hands crossed behind his back, facing away from Naime. He dressed in a long, white robe. Fodder, she said innocently. Hello, Jennifer Dash. The voice didn't sound like it was only a name, as head. The little Indian turned and smiled at Jennifer. There's no need for us to use silly names. You are Jennifer. I am Joshua. He was talking with his mouth. You don't have anything to say? Uh, I'm sorry, Fodder. I mean, uh, Joshua... I didn't know you talked of course i talk come sit he motioned towards a couch and chair in the corner of the room jen sat on the couch joshua stood upright with pristine posture in his decorative chair he looked like a king on his throne or a god i received some news today i believe you were involved in the incident jen racked her mind she'd been so caught up with her mama beck meeting that she'd completely forgotten the smooching miles fa Oh, do you mean your co-worker? You know her as Lori. She came to us, informed us that a man came and kissed her this afternoon. Yes, yes, Joshua. Yes, sir. Father, what do you know about this? Uh, a man came in. He kissed Lori, and then he came over, tried to kiss me. But I I, I wouldn't let him. And then he left. Oh, but... He came back again and kissed Lori a second time. Did you recognize this man? No. You've never seen him before? No. Faderbeck sighed. (sighs) Jennifer, Jennifer. I had such high hopes for you. This is a big step back. The man who called himself Joshua stood up began to pace the room with his arms tied behind his back. What am I going to do with you? Sir? Naima's knees were buckling. Why do you lie to me? I... Uh, I'm not... lying. I'll repeat myself. I won't ask again. Did you recognize the man? No. No. Mm, maybe. I'm not sure. You are sure. I can see that. But whatever your reasons for lying... You know what I had planned for you? Do you? No. No, you don't. I was going to make you a recruiter. You would have loved it. Absolutely adored it. You would have marched the globe, looking for the perfect candidates. Candidates? Yes, of course. There's a war on, Jennifer. I wanted to use you. It's a cold war. There's rarely ever any bang-bang battles. Everything's under the surface. One soul at a time. Excuse me, I mean one identity at a time. Naima was gobsmacked. She had no idea what to say. You know this man. He came to us with the name Tadashi Ozu. Adela advanced him quickly to level one. He now goes by the center given name, Uznai Vraga. Tell me, what's his real name? Miles Fah. Good, good girl. And how do you know Miles Fah? He was a crew member with me on the Orion Adventure Ship, financed by Lilith Babbitt. Ah, Lilith Babbitt, I know this name. She's quite the celebrity of late. But you wouldn't know about that, would you? So, Miles Fah came for you. I, I don't know. You're telling the truth. Good. I'll tell you what. There may be a second chance for you yet. Please, please. I'll... I'll do whatever you ask. Will you? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Joshua. Tonight, I want you to take this Miles to the pit. Convince him to jump in. If you can't convince him, push him. You want him at the other center? The one on the other side of the pit? Come now, Jennifer. We don't have to pretend, do we? No? Naima said as if a question. Lori could also be a suspect. She brought this information to us, but she could be a mole. It's hard to say. No, she she doesn't know anything. That's nice of you to protect her, but there's no way you could know that. Tell me, you still hate this Pied Piper? Of course. I, I hate him. The one thing Naima didn't doubt. Good. Then destroying those who work for him makes sense, no? We... 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 we don't have to kill people, Naima offered. Oh, yes, yes we do. We've tried being peaceable. It doesn't work. War costs. Every time we lose a match, people die. We have to kill for peace. Sometimes it comes to that. So here's what's going to happen. You'll meet with Fa tonight. Laurie will follow. If you can't convince him to jump... Or if you fail to push him, her job will be to take you out. Push you into the depths. Naima's eyes grew big. And then we'll have her killed. Just a little internal maintenance. If you hate the Piper and you care for your friend Lori, then you do this right. Tonight. Be a good soldier. That's all. The future is yours, Jennifer Dash. Do with it what you please. Hey, guys, did you know that there are just three episodes left in part two of Solve the World? As we tell you every week... Solve the World is going to be 100 episodes long. But right after we finish episode 50, we are going to be done with part 2, and I promise you, part 3 is going to be a whole different animal. And hopefully, I've crafted it right so that you'll feel like you know where the show's really going after episode 50. You'll have your compass in hand, if you will. So, going into these next three episodes, I want you to be excited, I want you to enjoy them. Enjoy this time period in Jen's life. And also, before we start part three, we're going to do another Solving the World episode, which is a behind-the-scenes episode where I answer your questions. So, as you're listening, and if there's any questions about the show, or about how I make the show, or gritty details, or, or whatever you want to ask, keep those in mind and at any point you can go ahead and send those questions to me to my direct email address that's dante stack at gmail.com d-a-n-t-e-s-t-a-c-k at gmail.com and then in the solving the world part two episode i'll take a shot at trying to answer your questions by the way as always All the music and sound effects used in this episode are appropriately attributed on our show notes page, which can be found on my website, DanteStack.com. Thanks, guys. Jen's faced with an impossible decision. Kill Miles or be killed. imbalance the scales further. If she doesn't push Miles, she'll die. And Lori dies too. Two for the price of one. What will Jennifer Dash do? What will Jen do? Find out next time on Solve the World.